Before we begin, I want to um, preface and have us consider some things before we begin and as we begin. I want us to stop and consider who we are. I was considering this yesterday morning. I'd heard a pastor say a while back, he was talking about how so often we think way too much of ourselves. And we like to think that that is us thinking too much of the human race, but really we just think too much of ourselves. I think too much of myself. And so as I was just considering this yesterday, it had never struck me before the fact that, you know, it says that God made man from the dust of the ground. But he made the dust first, and he didn't have to. He could have just made man, but he made the dust of the ground, and then he made us out of the dust, I think on purpose, um, for so we can think about it. And um, if you've done a little farming, you know that um, that dirt, that's what we're made out of, and that's what we go back to. Um, apart from Christ. And so, but he made us out of the dust of the ground. But he set his love on us that he made us in his image so that we could have relationship with him. So that he could come down and walk in the garden and walk with us. And it says that he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden because he wanted to have relationship with them. But we wanted to be autonomous. We wanted to call our own shots. And when the serpent said, you could be like God, well, that sounded pretty good because we're prideful. And so because of our pride, we decided we would rather be independent than to have perfect fellowship and communion with God. And so we fell. Even after we fell and we became about as wicked as we could become, then God said, he wouldn't completely cut us off. He sent the flood, but he left a remnant because he loves us and because he wants relationship with us. He was under no obligation to do so. <laughs> he was absolutely under no obligation to do so. And this, if you read through the Old Testament, this happened many times with the Israelites. God told Moses, let me just wipe them out. And I'll start over with you. And Moses said, no, don't do that. Because just what Miss Starla was saying, the nations around us will see and say that God has failed. But over and over and over, he showed that he just wanted to have relationship with us and he wanted us to come to him. And we continually stuck our hand in his face. You know, I don't, I don't have children old enough to do that and lord willing that they won't do that but i have you ever if you've ever seen you know the i've seen um some people back home i'll name names but you know stick that talk to the hand and that it kind of makes you want to break their arm <laughs> <laughs> i mean it does <laughs> i can't imagine um but we did that to god over and over and over and all of us have done that to god um while we were yet sinners, while we hated God, He set His love upon us. And He loved us. And He was willing to slaughter His own Son to have us. He was willing, Christ was willing to die to restore a relationship. 
And the father was willing to kill his own son to restore a relationship. And even after all of that, after he's given us his spirit and he's regenerated us and made us able to, as we sang the song, go into the Holy of Holies. Well, we don't have to come here. We don't have to go to the tabernacle. We don't have to go behind the veil once a year anymore. But we can enter into the Holy of Holies by faith. And even after all of that, many times we find ourselves in um, one or two places. Either we want to look at the Word and try to decipher and dice and figure out, well, how close can I get to sin and still be okay? How close, how much of the world can I have and still have Him? And we want to take the Word and make arguments. Well, I can do that because I'm free and blah, 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 blah. Or we fall into asceticism, which is works, which is I'm going to set up a list of rules that I'm pulling out of the Bible, and I'm going to live according to that, and that's going to make me okay. And so many times we fall into one of these two camps. And I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. The Lord took my pointing finger. <laughs> but um, I am um, I'm pointing a finger at myself um, because I've fallen into both of these camps um, and still do at times. I want to read really quickly in James chapter 4, verse 6. It says, But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think so many times we want to approach the Word and try to make it justify our actions, try to make it justify what we want, justify our lives, when in reality, who do we think we are? You know, at the end of Job, if you read the book of Job, at the end of it, um, it's basically what God asked him, you know, at the end of it. I think sometimes we forget Job was a righteous man. I mean, God said he was. Um, and all these things have happened. And he gets to the point where he said, he's, he's like, what in the world? He's, he's basically accusing God of injustice. Not in so many words, but he's basically accusing God of injustice. And God speaks to him out of a tornado and says, who do you think you are? Where were you when I created the world? You know, where were you when I laid the foundations of the ocean, you know? And he, he goes on and on and on and on of asking him questions, and, and obviously questions that, that Job cannot answer. I want to read in Romans 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 19 through 21. And Paul here has been dealing in Romans with the sovereignty of God and God's election. Through, as he's going through Romans, he'll, he'll give a question that either he's been asked or he knows someone's going to ask, and then he'll answer it, and then he'll explain it. Well, in chapter 9, he does not answer the question that he asks. He's dealing with God's sovereignty and the fact that God has complete and utter control and sovereignty over his creation. And so he says um, in verse 19, he says, You will say to me, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? And then in verse 20, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? And in the Greek, it's a little different. It, it says, But who are you, O man, or a man, 
to answer back to the God. Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And so, he doesn't answer the question because he doesn't need to. Um, he basically, he just squares his shoulders and looks them in the eye and says, who do you think you are? You're talking about the God and you are a man. There's a bunch of you. You're not special. I'm, not, I'm just saying men in general. <laughs> We're not special. Um, there's seven billion people on the earth, so what's that, three and a half billion men? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty commonplace. We're pretty common, and we are not special, but there is only one of him. I want us to consider this morning what it is to come to the Word of God and come to God and try to use what he has said to justify what we want to do and to dissect it one way or the other, whatever boat we fall into. Because we should come to God with our heads bowed and tears in our eyes of gratitude, just saying, Lord, just, just use me. Whatever you want, just use me. Um, with that thought in our minds, we will turn to John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in, him, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Mm. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you you that you should go and bear fruit that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you these things i command you so that you will love one another 
If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But there was this whole ro- whole row of vines that um, grape vines that he had um, he had cut all the branches off of them and they looked naked. They were just I mean bare all the way down through there. And I asked him why he did that and what he was doing. And he said, "Well, he's had a problem with this type of grape, um, and they weren't bearing correctly, um, and they weren't doing what he wanted them to do, and they just got all crazy." He said they got out and they just started doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So he just cut it back to the vine, cut them off. And it was interesting from the standpoint of that did not hurt the vine, it hurt the branches. The branches are gone; they got burned in a big burn pile in the back. Um, but it didn't hurt the vine. The next year, the vine popped out some branches, no problem. He pruned the ones he didn't want, kept the ones he did want, producing fruit like nobody's business. Um, but I was thinking about that, that the life is in the vine. The life is in the roots, in the ground. Um, and as long as the branches are connected to the vine... And not just connected, but there can't be, not just connected to the vine, but if there's anything hindering the flow of whatever you want to call it, juices, water, minerals, from the vine to the branch, then the branch dies. Or the branch doesn't produce well, and the vine dresser, or as the King James Version would say, the husbandman. Um, and I, I didn't tell you, I'm sorry, I'm I'm reading out of the ESV, so... The life is in the vine. And so if he is the vine and we are the branches, well, then the first thing we realize is, well, that means that we don't have life in ourselves. And that unless we are connected to him, and unless we receive life from him, then we have no life and we are dead. But on top of that, even if the branch is connected to the vine, what is the purpose of the branch? What is the only purpose of the branch? The purpose of the branch is to bear fruit. Um, And if the branch does not bear fruit, then it's cut off and it's thrown away. Um, Verse 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He was also showing me on some of these... um, some of these vines, how he will, he'll let them, let the shoots come out, and then he'll pick a shoot. 
whichever one's going the direction he wants, and then he'll clip off the others and let it keep going. Well, as it goes, he clips off because the, the branch will try to split off and go all, all over the place. Well, that's not what he wants it to do. And so he'll clip off the little pieces that come off that he doesn't want, and he prunes it so that it goes in the direction that he wants it. Um, years ago when I was landscaping, I had a similar experience with rose bushes. We had a customer that had at least uh, 13,000 rose bushes, and we had to, it was my job to deadhead them, we called it. Um, and I noticed something interesting one day that the, there was some of these stems on these rose bushes that were, I mean, as big as your finger. They were, they were just, they were huge. Um, and they would just have a couple of little petals on top, just a couple. And then you would have these, these little bitty stems that were the size of a pen or smaller, and they'd be all grown as long as they could grow, and they would be, have so many rosebuds on them, they would just be pulled down to the ground. And if you didn't take those and pop off what it didn't need, well, then it would lay on the ground and rot. I think the first thing I want, we need to consider is that if we are not abiding in him, and the word abide, I, where is it? I wrote it down. I looked it up online, and I didn't like what it said, so I looked it up in an old dictionary I've got. Um, old 63 um, dictionary and it said abide and the first three things it said was to remain to reside and to wait um, has the idea of dwelling in one place unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me if the purpose of the branch is to bear fruit and if the only way that we bear fruit is by being attached and abiding in the vine, then I think it would um, it do us it would do us good to consider for a second what abiding, what that means, what that looks like for us. What does the branch need to do in order to bear fruit? What does it have to do? Just be connected to the vine. If the branch is connected to the vine, it will bear fruit. And if it doesn't, it's cut off. But healthy ones, they do. And that's all it takes is to be connected to the vine. You know, if you look at grapevines, if you cut them, you know, it's almost like they've got a hole in the middle. They're soft in the middle. There's nothing to a grapevine. You know, it's in, in the Old Testament, it talks about, um, it's talking about Israel being a vine. And it's saying you can't even make a peg out of it to hang a shirt on. There's nothing to it. I mean, it, you cut it and it just dries up and, and my little two-year-old just break it and snap it. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing to a branch. Absolutely nothing to it. Um, I said vine, I meant branch. But um, but it has a hole in the middle of it um, because all that it is is a conduit. That's all it is. It takes life, flows from the vine, through the branch, and produces the fruit. And that's it. It's just a conduit. It doesn't produce anything of itself. If you cut it off, I mean, you watch it, it, it dies. It doesn't produce anything. Nothing. Not a thing. But not only that, but if the branch is connected to the vine and the branch does bear fruit, what happens if that branch tries to hang on to that fruit? It rots on the vine. It's not good for anything. Um... But the branch doesn't need the fruit. The branch does not need the fruit. If the branch keeps the fruit, 
then the fruit is wasted. Um, but all the branch needs is to be connected to the vine. That's where its life comes from. It doesn't get life from the fruit. It gets life from the vine. The fruit, who gets the fruit? The first thing I thought when I was thinking of this was, well, others get the fruit. And that's true, but who picks the fruit? And the vine dresser picks the fruit. The vine dresser collects the fruit and then he distributes it. And so the fruit goes to the vine dresser. And so the same way with us, as long as we are abiding in Christ, I'm not talking about following a list of rules. I'm not talking about living a certain way. I'm talking about abiding, living with someone, um, a relationship. You know, I'm talking about, um, you know, if abiding means to remain, I'm talking about remaining with Christ. And I'm talking about in a relationship sense. Um, and I was thinking, how, how much am I abiding? How much of my time is spent with Him? Regardless of the circumstances around me, regardless of what's going on, regardless of work, regardless of responsibilities, regardless of pain, regardless of whatever is going on around me, am I abiding in Him? Am I getting my life from Him? Is what sustains me Him? Or is it the things around me in my life? You know, is it... um. Am I trying to gain sustenance from take your pick? And the answer is many times yes. The answer is many times that yes, we would rather, just like Adam and Eve, we would rather be autonomous and produce fruit apart from him. We would rather try um, to live apart from the vine because we don't like being a conduit. We like holding on to stuff. But a conduit can't hold on to stuff. I'm looking for Sherman King, but I don't think he's here. But a plumber knows this. You got your plumbing pipe. Well, that plumber, I mean, that pipe can't have anything. It can't hold anything. If it holds anything, it's no good. You got to cut it out and fix it. Um, if it holds on to anything for itself, not only is it useless, it's, I mean, it's, People will pay any amount of money to get a drain unclogged <laughs> or to make their water run. Um, not only is it useless, it's, I mean, it's infuriating. Um, and I used to work on an old house um, for a gentleman I worked for. And the house was old enough that it had cast iron plumbing in some of it. And as that cast iron got old, it would grab onto stuff. It'd get all gnarly and... Um, I can't think of the word, but it would get rough and stuff would just catch on it and it would eventually get clogged up to the point to where one time it was me and three plumbers in that house um, with water on three levels going everywhere. We had water. It, it was it was absolutely unbelievable. Um, I um, No one lived in the house at the time and I, I went up to check on it at some point in the evening and uh, when I opened the door... I heard a sound of a waterfall. And anyway, but it was because that pipe was trying to hold on to stuff for itself. 
and it wasn't just willing to just be a conduit. Um, because that's what we are. It's what we're supposed to be is just conduits. That's it. And when we try to hold on to stuff, well, I like this, I want this. I, no, it's got to keep going. It's got to keep moving. Um, I wrote down here that life flows through the branch. And the branch does get life from the vine, but life has to flow has to flow through it. But also when we think of the idea of pruning, we need to understand that so many times the things in our life that we don't like, that we would just like for it to be gone, we'd love that, be out of the way, this is a thorn in the flesh, it's killing me, I'm just, why is this, mm, why will this not go away? And... Sometimes it is, it's him taking that little piece off that doesn't need to be there. Well, that's no good. It's gone. Don't need it. That's something you're trying to hang on to that is of no benefit to me or you produce, you're producing fruit. It's no benefit to you either. And I think if we, uh, if we trusted God um, within some of those things that sometimes they hurt. Sometimes it ain't a bit of fun. And, you know, sometimes, you know, what happens when you clip, um, when I used to do tree trimming, if you trim a tree right, it'll heal around back on top of it. Same way with a, with a, uh, with a grapevine. Um, but there's a healing process after that pruning. Oh, man, that hurt. Well, now it, it, well, that process is called sanctification, and we don't necessarily like it. We need to consider the next time that we're struggling with something, that God can be trusted. That He can be trusted with our lives and what takes place in our lives. He is, <laughs> he is not, um, he has not been de- dethroned because I am struggling with something. He is still in control. I want to turn to John six. John six verse thirty five. Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life." Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then look over to verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Now right after this, it says that many of the disciples, they immediately said, boy, this is a hard saying. And a lot of them quit following him after this because... um, you know, some of them, I guess, were just confused about a man telling them they were going to have to eat him. Um, but even those that understood what he was saying, 
didn't like it because he said that's the same thing he said to the rich young ruler. You have to get rid of what you feed on in order to feed on me. He says that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I want us to just consider, just think of that branch on that on that grapevine that at any point that it's not getting life directly from the vine, that branch is dead. It separates us from the vine when we want to gain pleasure, substance, joy, satisfaction out of other things. Let's look at Matthew 10, verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's a parallel passage to this in Luke. Um, Luke says it a little different. Luke says, whoever does not hate his father and mother, whoever does not hate his family, um, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. But whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So, how do we know what we love? Where do you put your time? Good brother used to say a long time ago, he's an older gentleman, he's passed away now, but he used to tell me, he said, Tanner, he said, the last thing that you think about before you go to sleep at night, and the first thing you think when you get up in the morning, that's your idol. Um, and I took that to heart, um, or I tried to, um, and man, so many times, um, I'll find that it's other things, you know, I'm, I never would have thought as a younger man that I could possibly ever be addicted to work because I hated it. My father believed in hard work. Man, as, as a kid, I just, I, man, it was, I thought it was terrible. Um, and I heard about people being workaholics. And I'm thinking, well, they've got to be insane. I mean, <laughs> there's something wrong with them. Um, but then as you as you get older and, and things change and whatnot, I, man, you can become dead gum consumed with it to the point of where you're laying in bed at night and you're exhausted and you can't go to sleep because you're trying to think about what you got to do when you roll out of bed in the morning. And it's funny to an extent, but it's... Um, if we really stop and think about where does our mind go when we're not occupied with something right in front of us, you know, when I'm not trying to make the fence look right, where is my mind going, you know? Are we focusing in our lives on our gifts or the giver? Are we focused on the things that the Lord gives us or are we focused on Him? And it's really easy it's really easy to be focused on the things that he gives us, um, no matter what that is. But when he gives us something, are we thinking Are we thinking about him, or are we just consumed with the gift? You know, every now and again, I go by the, the local uh, florist known as Kroger, and um, 
pick through and see if I can find something worth buying. And I'll take some flowers home for my wife because she likes them. Um, and if I brought those home to her and I gave them to her, and she, um, she's like, oh, man, thank you. And she just took them and just turned around and walked away and just was all worried about the roses and got them on the table and it was just all, man, and well, and I'm just, okay, I'm going to bump on the log, you know. What is the point of bringing roses? The point of bringing roses home is not so she can be consumed with the roses. And just, man, oh, they're just, they're so beautiful and just, I mean, freaking out over the roses and then forget her husband. I mean, that would be, <laughs> that would be um, devastating. But I think that's what we do sometimes. I really do. Um, so many times the Lord gives us a gift and he's so excited to give it to us. He loves to. He says, if you being evil love to give gifts to your children, I mean, how much joy does it bring you when your child is wanting something and you can give it to them? You know, sometimes we act like the kids. We act like our kids. <laughs> because if I give something to my little one-year-old, well, she's, she's actually a little better, but my two-year-old, <laughs> if I give something to my two-year-old, she's usually just con- concerned with what I gave her. And it's usually, you know, I mean... It, it might turn into a spanking match to get her to say thank you, you know. But are we like that sometimes? Because God has so much joy in giving us things. He gives good gifts. James one seventeen says that that all good gifts, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. Every good thing that we have, every good thing that, that we're given is from His hand. And He gives it to us with joy. And then we're all over here, man, look at this. And we're just consumed with it. And he's going, hello, hello. I gave it to you because I love you and I want relationship with you. And I love seeing the joy that it brings you. But I want to have relationship with you. I want to be close to your face. You know, you ever take a little baby, um, Amorous back there. There's nothing she loves more than I'll come home from work and I'm nasty. And I and she doesn't care. She doesn't know. I, I pick her up and I just hold her right here. She's as happy as she could be. She she tries to pull everything off my face, and just she wants to be right here. You know, especially with little babies younger than her. You know, at first they can't see very far, and I didn't know this for a long time. But they can't see very far. So I I, I if you'll pick up a little bitty baby and you just hold them right here, they'll get so excited. You know, they're just, oh, I can see somebody, you know, and it's the relationship and that, that, that's relationship. You're not saying anything. I mean, you know, you find yourself saying crazy stuff, but you're just caught up in that relationship. And that's what God wants. That's what he wants, guys. He doesn't want us to, like, make a list of rules and then us live by them and check, check. That's not what he wants. It's not what he wants. He wants us. He wants a relationship with us. You know, if I made a list of things that would make me a good husband, with my wife's help, made a list and worked out, bam, bam, okay, these 4,323 things would be what would make me a good husband. And I made that list. Well, then, okay, I come in from work. Hi, honey, I'm home. And I give her a kiss. Check. And I walk, turn around. Hold on, let me. Okay, I've done that. What's the next one? 
That's not what she wants. She doesn't want me. She doesn't want me to um, to do stuff for her so that I can check a list, so that I can check a box. Okay, I'm good. I've I've done my good husband deed. I've done my. I've been a good husband. It's not what she wants. She wants me. She wants to have relationship with me. She wants for me to care about her more than I care about myself. She just wants me to care about her. She wants me to care about what she cares about. God doesn't want us checking lists, checking boxes. God wants us to care about what he cares about. And he wants relationship with us. He wants to take our face and put it right here and just have relationship with us. It's what he wants. And that's what the Holy of Holies that we were just singing about, that's what that was. It was you could that was the only place that you could get close to God. I mean um I mean there were instances that were different in the Old Testament, but that was where God was. That's where he was. Guys, we can have that. We can go to him by faith and we can just but but what does it take? We can't just go to him for 10 minutes in prayer and be like, okay, check the box, I'm good. That's not relationship. That's not. If I come home from work and my wife's talking, and, and t- I'm like, okay, two minutes, all right, we're good. Nope, that ain't going to cut it. <laughs> and so abiding means to re- remain, reside. Abiding means to stay, to sit still, to dwell somewhere. God wants us to stay with him. God wants us to spend time with him. God wants us to care about him. So if every good and perfect gift is from above, just think about, do you have life this morning? It's not yours. It is not yours. It's his. He gave it. The breath that we use to pray is a gift from him. And in the same sense, the breath that people use to rail against him is a breath from is a gift from him. Has he given you children? You're a steward of what he has given you. Um, you know, I had a gentleman tell me a long time ago. I, I he said something about the Lord giving me children, and I said, "Yep, I'm you know filling my quiver." You know, joking about that passage in the Psalms, and and he said, "Yep, the Lord gives you arrows, and you shoot them right back at him." And I thought, man, what in the world? Think about that, guys. Our children will be gone one of these days. I mean, they'll move out, have their own families, have their own lives. What is our job? To shoot them back at God. We're stewards of them. And we need to be careful that our children don't become our lives, but that we direct our children so that God can be their lives as well as ours. We're even stewards Men, husbands of our wives, we're just stewards. All authority is temporary. All of our authority is temporary. You know, the word says that there's coming a day there won't be marriage in heaven. We will all, it won't be man and wife, Jew and Greek, you know, male and female. We're stewards. And so we need to be, um, we need to be very, um, very, very intentional about the gifts that God gives us. If God has given you monetary blessings, 
10% of that is not God's and the rest yours. All of it is his. Think about that. Every penny that he gives you is his. It belongs to him. All of it. And so how does that change the stuff we spend it on? If we believe that, how does that change how we use it? Doesn't mean you don't use it, you hoard it. No, I mean, it changes how you use it. I was flipping through a little kid's Bible with the girls last night and came upon a picture of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, when he lost his mind and he's roaming around in the fields eating grass and just living, he says, like a wild ox. And I realized, man, the Lord even gives us the ability to think clearly. He could tell, If he took that away, we'd be like a wild animal. He gives us that. He gives us the ability to reason, to <laughs> know that we need to clean ourselves, to know that we need to eat, to know that you know what we need to eat, what not to eat. Well, sometimes I wonder, but um, the McDonald's is full every day. But he gives us the ability to reason and to think through things. And if he took that away, y'all, we'd just be like animals. What I want us to consider and leave with today is are we abiding in Christ and if we are not we don't need to run off and and, and make a list of things that we're going to do in order to abide we need to seek his face whatever that looks like we need to decide and tell him Every gift is his, and we're going to act like it's his, and we're going to give it back to him, and we're going to have the attitude of just being stewards, and God, just use me. Just use us. Man, if we all had the attitude of, I don't care what happens, just use me. I don't care how, I don't care where, I don't care when, just use me. It would absolutely blow our minds. It is beyond what we could fathom what the Lord would do if we did that. If we sincerely said, Lord, every dollar you give me is yours, tell me how to use it. Every minute of the day is yours, show me how to use it. You know, every bit of energy that I have is yours. Show me how to use it. Tell me what to do with it. Ten minutes with him in the morning is not going to do it. Ten minutes in the morning is not going to cut it. No one knows your heart but you. And sometimes we don't even know our own hearts. But I want you to ask yourself, are you abiding in Christ? The passage, it's in Acts, um, where they took Peter and John before the council. And they were before the council and they recognized, man, these guys are ignorant. (laughs) I don't want to throw anybody else under the bus, so I'll just say me and my brother. Um, if you took me and one of my brothers and put us before a council like that, and you got the old, you know, I can just imagine up in New York or somewhere, and we got the old Tennessee slang going on, and they're thinking, these boys are, I mean, redneck stupid. It's that same idea. It's this, these guys are plumb ignorant. I mean, can they even read? But it says that they perceived that they had been with Jesus. How often does someone look at me and say, he may be ignorant. He may be from Tennessee. But, man, something about it. Where He's just got hope. What is the hope? 
I mean, it says be ready always to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Well, if we don't have hope in us, no one's going to ask. And so if we're not acting like we have hope, if we're not, man, if, it doesn't, if we have not been with Jesus, then we'd just be a dead branch with no fruit to give. And so it won't really matter if, uh, if we go do a bunch of witnessing or we could go do crusades, we could do whatever we wanted to do wouldn't matter if we have not been with jesus if we're not abiding and getting life flowing through us and forget it so are we abiding in christ and do people look at us and say they've been with jesus let's pray father we're grateful for this time um, i pray that you would um that you would change our desires Father, I pray that you would whittle away uh, what we hold on to of the world. And, Father, your word says that the flesh is of no benefit at all. So I pray that by your spirit that you would empower us, make our desire to seek your face and to have you above all else. That in having you, that that would flow um, through us uh, to be a blessing to others. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.